Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to First. We are so glad that you chose to worship with us. Now, before we get rolling, we just want to kind of address the elephant in the room that uh, today the sermon's coming at you just a little bit different, that normally you're used to one of us physically standing here, but today you're actually getting a chance to experience what church is like at Urbana from time to time. Now, we believe in the authority of God and the authority um, of Scripture so much so that we believe that uh, the, the content, how it comes to you, is just a, a variable that can change. And so as one church in two locations, we know that there are going to be opportunities for us to be able to share content, even our messages through video. And so for the first time today that you guys actually get to experience just a little bit of what it's like to receive a video message at Urbana that we do, I don't know, uh, about eight to ten times a year. And so with that being said, we just want to say welcome and uh, we're, we're looking forward to the message this morning. And so today we are actually in week three of our Long Story Short series. Uh, the whole point of this series, we've been looking at this singular big idea that the story of Scripture has transformative power. And what we've been trying to show you and what we've been trying to, to lay out in front of you is that the story of Scripture, that stories themselves have power so much so in a way that it causes us to actually lean in. That isn't there something about a story that actually gets us to kind of take a step towards that truth or something that's being presented to us? And so the same goes for us as how we are looking at the Bible. Last week we talked about how stories have that unique ability to do that. So much so that we even showed you that Jesus probably had a a lot of different options and ways to preach uh, messages and truths about what it means to live in the kingdom of God or what it means to live as God intended. And he chose to speak and teach through these things called parables, these these short stories. But actually what we want to do today is, is kind of take you back to week one a little bit. In week one, we did something pretty uh, unique is we tried to cover the entire scripture, the entire Bible in, in, in one message. And we talked about the whole Bible, how it kind of breaks down in, into six key movements in a story plot mountain, just kind of like any book or movie uh, that, that you're used to. And so this is the point that we got to. We said that the, the story starts here, that there is this creation, this shalom that God created us to live into. But that creation came crashing down. It broke apart when Adam and Eve had the first sin of disobedience against God. And then throughout the course of the Old Testament, we kind of saw this cycle that happened over and over again. That sin seemingly kind of just always got the upper hand. That while there were good things or valuable things to learn and to be gleaned from the Old Testament, we learn a lot about who God is, his passion for people, the way he relentlessly pursues us. There, there are patriarchs and people of faith that obediently followed God. Sin still seemed to want that there was no sufficient answer for, for that crash. And so then the pages turn and we actually get to the turning point of our story, the climax of the Bible, if you will, the best part where we see Jesus lives, dies, uh, goes to the grave and raises three days later to show his power over sin. And then he sends his spirit into everyone uh, and saying, now you need to take this message, be the church. And we begin to see a reversal of the cycle. And then we said, though, that it all concludes with shalom being restored. But this time... It's stronger. It cannot be broken. What we kind of said is the Old Testament points us to a need for Jesus to come. And the New Testament just points back to what Jesus has done. But have you ever considered, I want to ask you this. 
Have you ever considered that maybe just perhaps your story follows a similar storyline? That your journey of faith, maybe it has a, a commonality with that plot. And so my hope for you today is to maybe show you how you could break down and see your story in a way that kind of follows along the, the, the storyline of Scripture. But, but before we kind of dive into that, I want to take a step back and think about this. How did Jesus' words, how did Jesus' actions, his miracles, how did that ever get recorded and pass along? How, how, how did people kind of, kind of move the, the, the gospel message, of you will, from, from place to place, from person to person, from city to city? You see, most scholars believe that, that the church grew its fastest and its biggest, that it was in its most full effect, its transforming power, the 200 years after Jesus' ascension back up into heaven. That means for 200 years after Jesus, that is when the church was just lit on fire, that it was like a wildfire that could not be put out. But here's the interesting thing, is that copies of the written word weren't probably very common in fact, we could probably understand that they were very hard to come by. You see, a lot of us today, we, we hold uh, a Bible, whether it's a, a tangible one or one in our phone or a tablet, um, pretty much as a result of this thing called the printing press. You know, the printing press came about in the year 1440. That's 1,400 years after the thing that happened that changed all uh, of history. That's not even to mention and talk about the, the literacy problem that, that went along with that day as well. You see, b before there was the printing press, the Bible was written on these things called manuscripts in which uh, the, the authors, the epistles, they, they would hear the voice of God, they would be inspired from the Spirit within them, and then they would write down on, on papyrus. And then typically what would happen is that these, these manuscripts, they would go to these monks, and then they would be secluded, and, and then they would literally copy as best they could word for word the Holy Scriptures. Now, we could trace it all the way back to the apostles and kind of point out to the fact that they really just didn't have a tangible Bible to carry around, to read to people, to show people passages. So doesn't that make you wonder a little bit? Doesn't something go off in your brain? Well, then how did the church grow so fast? How did it reach so far? Why did so many people get gathered together when there was no physical copies of the Bible. You see, it actually wasn't until the year AD 356 that the first the Bible came uh, uh, to us, that it was put together. You see, uh, the Bible or Ta Biblia, it was put together, that Genesis through relation, uh, Revelation, that this did not exist until 356 AD. So, so let's do just a little bit of, of, of mental math here. So we have this guy, Jesus, who, who lived. He was born in, in Bethlehem. He grows up a, a Jewish, uh, under the Jewish carpenter. And then around the age of 30, he sets off on a three-year journey. At the end of this three-year journey, this missionary in which he taught people, performed miracles, uh, broke down barriers. After all of that happened, he lived, died, rose again, ascended back into heaven. Okay, so that's 33 years in total. And we believe that Jesus probably around the year 3 B.C. is when he was born, which means he died around the year 8030. 
And so if we follow what a lot of scholars say is that the first 200 years after the ascension, the death and ascension of Jesus was the church spreading like wildfire more than anything else, that gets us to the year 230. So that means over 100 years pass, over one century comes to completion between the end of the fastest growing movement of the church to when the first, the Bible, exists. So how did the church, how did the gospel message spread without the Bible? Now, it's probably not because people didn't talk about Jesus. It's probably not because people didn't share stories or this is what I heard the Apostle Paul say. But it can only have happened because people shared of the transformative power of Jesus that they encountered. Now, these first 200 years, there were probably uh, eyewitnesses and then first generations of eyewitnesses or people who hung around with the apostles and those of the early church. They had personal relationships with them. And then we get to one generation removed, and then it kind of starts to fizzle out. But still, it, it's, it's crazy to think that that is when it was at its peak, that there was no Roman's road to take someone to. There was no 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to tell them about the blood and the redemption of Jesus. That there was no 1 John to refer back to all the time to say that this is who the God of love is who has sent a plan into your life. So this is where we begin to remember that our faith is based on what happened, not what was written. See, our, our faith is based on what happened. That Jesus was in fact a man who lived, died, rose again for the sake of redeeming God's creation, for the sake of, uh, of helping people have sufficiency for their faults and their distance from God, for, for covering their sins so that they may have new life with God in this life and for all of eternity. You see, the first Christians, they could not point to a written passage. But what they could tell you is, this is how my life has changed. This is how I have been transformed because of what happened. Because this Jesus guy, who I believe lived, died, and rose again, because his spirit is in me, I can feel it, I'm a changed person, I'm a new person. That is how the church took off, even without the Bible. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We actually want to look at someone's story found in the Bible that kind of breaks down a way to show the transformative power of Jesus. We want to look at someone's story and hear from them what it means to share the power, the transformative power of Jesus in us. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. And we're going to look at no other than the Apostle Paul himself. The Apostle Paul was this guy by the name of Saul um, who, who was a, a Pharisee. He was a, this Jewish religious elite type of man. Uh, and then he was going through the early stages of his life, his adolescence. He was growing. He was becoming one of the most religious elite people uh, of all time. And, but it got to the point where he's right after the time of Jesus that he was actually trying to kill people who believed in the way, as the early Christians were called. That he was actually trying to find ways to stone people, to put these people to death because he wanted the church to stop. And then what we're going to see is Paul, he's, he's in this one instance. He's on his way to persecute the church yet again. And then he has this transformative moment in which he experiences Jesus. Jesus comes into his life and his life is radically transformed. 
And from there, Paul actually goes on to start churches, to tell people about Jesus. And he always starts every letter reminding people this transformative power that I'm coming to you has changed my life. And I want it to change yours too. In Galatians chapter 1, let's peek at the beginning of Paul's story. He says this, starting in verse 11. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I intensely persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Paul starts off his story by kind of saying, before Jesus, this is who I was. He's kind of saying, so before my my transformative moment, my transformative time with Jesus, this is who I was. And he first kind of starts off by saying that I I was not just a Jewish boy. In fact, I was a zealous Jew and I was a a Pharisee. It's a word that, that we use oftentimes today because the New Testament used to describe these people. And so Paul was kind of saying, of all the Jewish people, I was actually, that was, that was really good. I was one of the best Jews around. I was really good at memorizing scripture. I was really good at, at keeping laws seriously. And I was really good at making sure that other people needed to do that as well too. And now the thing is that there's a difference between here. That Paul is reminding us of his way of life in Judaism purposefully. Now, what we want you to know, what we want you to understand, we don't want you to misinterpret this, is Paul is not saying that God had a problem with Paul being Jewish. In fact, there's nothing wrong with being Jewish. That, in fact, that there's a great value to being Jewish. But what Paul was saying is that I was, in fact, a, a Pharisee. I was a zealot of the Jewish faith, so to speak. That there was nothing wrong with Paul ethnically being Jewish, but he's reminding people of his Judaism as a way to say that I did not believe in Jesus. See, there was a distinguishing mark between Paul's life before Jesus and after Jesus. That as a Jewish man, as a Pharisee, he believed in God and the rules and the regulations and the laws, but he did not believe in the sufficiency of Jesus. Paul then also tells us, though, also before about some pretty drastic things. In fact, that he was actually hostile towards Christians. We actually learn about Paul that that he went so far as to kill people who said that they believed in Jesus, that they believed in the sufficiency of the life of Christ that is only by the grace of God through Jesus Christ who lived, died, and rose again that somebody could actually spend eternity from God. And so Paul actually began to take it upon himself to go after these people, to find these people, to knock on the doors, to ask them questions that do you really believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that through him and only him that you can have eternal life? And when these people would say yes, he would snatch them out of their homes and and take them into the middle of the courtyards and stone them to death. In fact, that we know that the first Christian martyr, his name was Stephen, that Paul was standing there watching this happen. Some scholars believe that Paul might have even been the Pharisee who actually wanted to see this happen. 
I mean, kind of all to say is that, that Paul, he just wasn't a really nice guy. He, he wasn't a guy that you wanted to spend time with. So he, was, he tells us, well, I was, I was a Jewish man. I was persecuting the church. And then he was also giving us something great. He said, actually, I was trying to destroy the church at large. I was trying to just get it to stop because this was a way to get in the way of, of, our, of our Jewish religion at that time. And so Paul was faced with a choice oftentimes. That he wanted anyone who believed in Jesus to kind of either shut up, to rescind their belief, or to pay the price. But this is how Paul's story actually continues. In Galatians 1, 15 through 19, he says, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went uh, into Arabia, and later I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, and I stayed with him for 15 days. And I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. See, this is where Paul begins to say, but Jesus. But Jesus, he came into my life. He's kind of saying, before Jesus, here's, here's who I am. Here's what I was known for. This is what I did. And he says, but Jesus came to me. In Acts chapter 9, we actually get the account of what happened. Paul refers to Damascus for a very particular reason. It's because Paul was on his way to Damascus. He had a couple buddies with him, and they were headed to Damascus because they were going to go kill and persecute some other Christians at that time. And he's riding along, and then he's blinded in a bright light. And he's blinded, he, he falls off his, his ride and he's, he's sitting there and all of a sudden he hears this voice that says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Oh, oh, he kind of freaks out and then he responds, he says, who are you, Lord? And the voice responds to him and says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He says, now get up, go to the city and do what you're told. I mean, the crazy part is that this actually works. In an instant, in a split second, because Jesus came to Paul, showed himself that Paul's life is transformed in a moment. And he spends a few years kind of figuring out life, figuring out what his new mission and purpose is. But Paul leaves then there. He, he leaves and begins to start planting church after church after church. He goes to new city, to new nations. He goes everywhere from person to person telling anyone that he can about who Jesus is. And I love it in his story when he says, but he called me by his grace. This is a huge point for Paul. The turning point of Paul's life, the climax of Paul's life, the moment in which he went from not knowing Jesus to being a follower of Jesus is when he understood and was overwhelmed, dare we say it, transformed by the grace of Jesus. If there was anyone who didn't deserve the grace of Jesus, wouldn't it be Paul? If there was anyone who, who didn't really deserve to spend eternity with God, wouldn't it be Paul, the guy who was actually killing people who believed, the one who wanted to destroy the church? 
that when people said that they believed in the good news of Jesus, that he actually went as so far as to have them stoned. A lot of us, we might look at the life of Paul and say, he doesn't count. He does not qualify to be loved by Jesus. We might think that he is not worthy. And that's why the storyline of scripture, that's why Paul's story, it's all about the grace of Jesus. And that's why your story can be all about the grace of Jesus as well. See, we need the grace of Jesus in our life to be restored back to God. And Jesus has freely given it to us. That we don't have to earn it, we don't have to make it up, but that is a gift that we can obtain. So here's what I want to say really quickly. Is that if anyone has ever told you that you are not good enough to belong to the family of God, if anyone's ever told you that you need to clean up your life first, if anyone's ever told you that you've done too many bad things to, to outweigh your good things, if, if anyone's ever given you the impression that you're too far gone to be loved by God or used by Jesus, if anyone has ever told you that Jesus has given up on you, I want to tell you right now in this moment that he has not. That in any way, shape, or form, that Jesus has never given up on you. He has never given up on me, and he's never given up on you. In the same way in which Jesus still pursued Paul and went after Paul and gave him his grace and transformed his life, that that same Jesus and that same power still has the ability to come into your life and transform you this very day. That Jesus has never, will never, ever, ever, in a million, billion years, ever give up on you. His grace is sufficient. Our repentance can happen daily whenever we move forward. And Jesus lived, he died, he rose again. The scripture all points to it for this particular reason, that it's all about the grace of Jesus. So that people like Paul, people like me, people like you, and have that climax of our lives, that turning point, all as a result of the grace of Jesus. But here's the thing, is the grace of Jesus not only transformed Paul's life in an instant, it sustained Paul's new purpose and mission in life. Look at what Paul says in Galatians 1, 20 through 24. He says, I assure you before God that I am writing to you, that what I'm writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Sicilia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. This is Paul saying, because of Jesus. This is now who I am. This is now what I get to do. This is part of who I am. That Paul's life is radically different. That instead of persecuting Christians, in fact, we begin to learn and see and understand from the book of Acts that Paul actually is persecuted himself. From trying to strand Christians away from faith, away from God, he actually, Paul, becomes stranded physically, emotionally, and spiritually in an attempt to take the gospel to new people. I love that last part where it says that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. If that doesn't scream transformation, 
If that doesn't scream some type of power that can go to anyone ever in the course of history, if that doesn't scream that the climax of the story of Scripture, the story of Paul's life, then I don't know what it is. See, Jesus, he not only fills our minds, but he transforms our hearts. You see, we could kind of think back to the story of Scripture. If we were to put this outline of Scripture up again, we can see that Paul's story actually follows a similar plan. Paul was born, and then he lived a life of sin and brokenness, albeit it was, it was a good one. It was a zealous one. It was, it, was a, it was a Jewish one. But he got stuck in this cycle. He got confused, distracted, and there was no sufficiency of Jesus in him when he says, before, when I was man of Judaism, and then, but, Jesus comes into his life in an instant. And then he says, so because of Jesus, I began to go from city to city, planting church after church, telling people about the gospel and the good news, and people began to worship God because of my story. See, we can break down the story of the Bible this way. We can break down the story of Paul this way. I bet for a lot of us, we can find our story in this way as well too. We could summarize it in this way. For all of us, the story of Scripture, the story of Paul, or even us today, that before Jesus, we all have it. We were born, and we were born into this thing called sin, and we actually continue to sin today. None of us are perfect, myself included, myself especially, that we all make mistakes. But Jesus is real. He lived, he died, he rose again, and he makes himself known to us through his word, but also through his spirit and his transformative power in the lives of others. And so because of Jesus, our lives can look radically different in this life and the next. It's not maybe a perfect way. There are maybe some things that you'd like to fill in and add here and there, but this can be your story that you can have that climax, that turning point with Jesus, that you don't have to be stuck in a life before Jesus. That Jesus is knocking, he's waiting, saying, let me in, let me transform your life, let me change your story. If you've ever thought that maybe you don't matter, if you've ever thought that maybe you're not good enough, if you've ever thought that you're too far gone to be loved by Jesus, if you've ever thought that maybe your story just isn't one that has a place in the church or one in, in the kingdom of God or that it can't be used by God, let me tell you this, is that you do. Your story matters because you matter to Jesus. Every story matters because it's a way in which we can point back to Jesus. That even Paul's story, this magnificent transformation, was never about Paul, but it was always about the grace of God in his life. And the same goes for you, that your story matters because you matter to Jesus. That Jesus has not given up on you. That his grace is sufficient that when we repent of our sins in the first moment in every day, that he is waiting there to redeem us. So this is my question. This is my question for you this morning. 
is does your story point to Jesus? Does your story point to Jesus? Have you had that but moment, that turning point, that climax in which Jesus has revealed himself to you and transformed your life? Are you living in that because portion? How how are you doing with that? Are, Are you living a life that says, well, this is who I am. This is who I am, new and different, a new creation transformed because of who Jesus is. Or is your story still in that before? Still in that moment in which you maybe you feel like you're in a cycle where something just seems off, something seems broken, something seems like it's not the way it should be. Perhaps your story doesn't quite yet point to Jesus. Storyline of scripture is about a single savior. Points to Jesus. Does your story point? We're moving to a time of response. So this was a really compelling and challenging thing to me because when I think about how our storyline can model the storyline of Scripture, what I recognize a lot of the time is that I do not place Jesus at the center of my story. I place myself at the center of the story. And maybe you have experience something like this yourself, we do this in a lot of different ways, right? For starters, a lot of times we think our story is too bad for Jesus to be at the center of our story. We think that we're too far gone. We think we've done too many incredibly terrible things. We think we've disappointed too many people that there's no way that God could really look upon us with love and welcome us home. And really, that's something that we touched upon last week. God and the stories that are true about him are the stories where he's waiting for us to come home, eager for us just to take the first step. Now, others of us have really fooled ourselves. (laughs) We think our story is too good for Jesus to be at the center of our story. We're convinced that we are so morally upright, that we're such an exemplar of goodness, that there's no possible way that we could ever need Jesus in our lives. We're convinced by patting ourselves on the back over and over again that we're in the exact right place, that we do not need God's help. Or maybe we've been walking with Jesus and we failed to recognize that it was grace that invited us to the table, that we had nothing that we could offer Jesus and through our surrender, that's what gained us access to a relationship with God. But I wanna talk to another group of folks because I get the impression that there's a whole lot more people in the middle. There are a lot of us who think that our story is too bland for Jesus to be at the center. Maybe you grew up in a home where your mom and dad were people of faith. You don't have a crazy testimony, but you're not a gifted teacher. You're not a super Christian or anything like that. And you're just trying to wonder, where is the significance in your life? Where does your testimony come from? My encouragement to you is this. There is simply nothing else that matters other than the fact that your story matters because you matter to Jesus. Whether you're on either far end of the spectrum or if you think you're the most ordinary person on the planet, your story matters because you matter to Jesus.
And we talked about Paul's story today. He was a guy, when you think about it, when you think about his story, you think to yourself, man, there's a guy who's really put Jesus at the center. And I want to share this word with you from Paul. I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit. Basically, Paul came to this point where he recognized where he stood. He recognized and had this confrontation, this moment where Jesus truly was at the focal point. He had an opportunity to redefine the storyline of his life. And ultimately, on the back of it all, after Jesus has really transformed Paul's life, he would say something like this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Jesus who lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So we've been talking week after week now about this idea of Baptism Sunday that's been coming. And our invitation to you is simply this. If you are ready to make Jesus the center of your story, to step aside and allow him to play the main role and for you to become the human he truly created you to be, would you take the opportunity to fully identify yourself with Jesus as the King, the Lord, and Savior of your life? And the way that we do this is through baptism. And I can think of no more powerful image than this idea of dying to ourselves, being buried in a watery grave, and risen to life through our faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And so if this is you, if you're ready to make this decision, we had a ton of decisions streaming this week. I got one last night at like 11.45. I got a little ping on the form online. We wanna set apart a day on December 9th and celebrate together as a church community what it looks like for us to put Jesus at the center of our story. I want that opportunity for you. So there are a couple ways you can do that. You can either go to fcc-online.org forward slash baptism and you can just discreetly fill that form out. We will help you take care of the details. Otherwise, you can grab that connection card and write Baptism Sunday on that connection card. We would love to follow up with you. But I don't know where today finds you. I don't know if you think you're the worst of the worst or the best of the best, or if you think you're so boring that your story couldn't possibly matter. But my word to you is this, your story matters because you matter to Jesus. Hey, would you go ahead and do this? Would you stand with me? And we're gonna pray before we set up our time of response. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would not play the main role in this story. God, help help us to understand how central your son Jesus is to the storyline of human existence and to life in general. God, we, we just take this opportunity now to acknowledge that apart from you, things are really different. Before Jesus, things are really different. But because of Jesus, we can be placed on a trajectory that's entirely different. We can look incredibly different. We can confound people because of Christ in us. Not creating some weird caricature, some weird holy roller, but God, just someone who is set apart and made different and full of life, joy, and peace because of Jesus at the center of our story. 
So we lay ourselves before you and we ask you, God, call us in, welcome us home, and Jesus, be the center of our story. We pray this in your name.